publicly, and I have seen this, I believe, empirically in our world, uh, it would seem the focus is much more strongly on structural societal issues as the primary causes of those things that violently breaks down Shalom. And it's not on personal issues per se. In this episode of Exploring Violence in Society, we are coming at this issue from a completely different angle. Dr. Phil Daughtry and Dr. Johan Rue talk with us about a Christian spirituality of peace, or what Johan calls shalom, and what their spiritual tradition teaches about the connection between personal peacefulness and public injustices. So, so our culture is individual, individualistic and, and hyper-consumerist. So whenever we first encounter a spiritual concept, we immediately commodify it. So, so you know, so-called meditation mindfulness can be fully commodified so that it's just a little thing in my back pocket um, that makes me feel a, a bit better. But this is nothing to do um, with, with the Christian um, perspective on contemplation. So it's impossible to participate in authentic meditation and contemplation without walking out of your front door and automatically just being in a more compassionate and restorative modality. This is a podcast for critical and imaginative conversations about this complex social issue. My name is Ben Lohmeyer and welcome to Exploring Violence and Society. I have two special guests today on the podcast. They are my colleagues from here at Tabor. My first guest is Dr. Johan Rue. Johan was, well, he became president of Tabor in 2016. Before he this, he served at CHC in Brisbane in various roles, including Dean of School of Social Sciences. He has a heart for Christian education, leadership, flourishing people, and flourishing organizations. Johan is currently teaching a topic called Meaningful Living, which has a major focus on the idea of shalom, which I am very keen to hear more about in a moment. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, Johan. Thanks for the invite, Ben, and uh, hello to all our listeners. Awesome, thank you. Okay, so my second guest today is Dr. Phil Daughtry. Phil is the Dean of Humanities and Social Sciences at Tabor. His scholarship is in the field of contemporary spirituality. He has a reputation amongst his staff as a caring and empowering leader. Uh, I'm one of his staff, so I can vouch for that. Uh, Phil is a passionate about the place of contemplative, contemplative spirituality practices in life, work and society. Phil is happiest in his garden, on his BMW motorcycle, fishing, camping and spending time with his wife and adult children, partners and grandchildren and supporting the Adelaide United Football Club. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Phil. Gather Reds. Uh, thank you, Ben. Uh, and uh, greetings to all, your, all the listeners. Really great to be in conversation with you today. No worries at all. All right, thank you both for coming on the podcast. And I thought a good way to start would for you to tell us a little bit about the subjects you're teaching and how this idea of violence and the spirituality of peace fits into those subjects. So, Johan, we already mentioned your subject, Meaningful Living. Perhaps we can start there. Thank you, Ben. Meaningful Living is an interesting subject in that it almost serves as an undercurrent or a foundation for community professions as a whole. So the basic hypotheses that we work with right from the beginning and then test throughout the subject is uh, what makes a meaningful living or, or a life meaningful. And we say a meaningful life is a life that makes a difference for good and for God by flourishing self, others and the world around us. 
So that's the basic premise of the subject. We then test it in a number of ways. We test it against the mirror of, of the Bible, uh, of sociology, of psychology, uh, all kinds of other disciplines, and see what we can find, whether this hypothesis stands, and uh, if it does, how we can outwork it best. The concept of shalom is a core organizing motif, if you want to call it that, but also a framework for meaningful living. So within the concept of shalom, we find both a telos, which is like a goal, but also a framework that structures our thinking about what would help us to flourish self, others, and the world. Okay, great. So there's a few different pieces in there. I think I might start with this idea of shalom. Uh, can you tell us mm. where it comes from, what it's, yeah. it means? Uh, maybe that's a good way to start. Okay, shalom. Yo, big term. In the Bible, we find the word peace used quite often. Most often, the root word there is the word shalom. So it's a, it's a purely biblical word first and foremost it is used to this day in, in Israel among Jews it's a way in which they greet one another and though it's translated as peace it is a much much bigger concept so it basically talks about flourishing uh, even more expanded it talks about completeness, wholeness and well-being that is to be exemplified and found in the example of Christ uh, and the way in which he lived, his way of kingdom living. It only complete, uh, it's only completely possible or uh, it, it is mostly possible within healthy communities, so it brings the community concept into it. And it then brings liberation and blessing, both to people individually but also corporately, also to societies. So where shalom grows and where shalom is strong there's completeness, wholeness, well-being, and flourishing. Wow, okay. So, I mean, the idea of peace can we get thrown around a fair amount. I mean, it can, comes up in our media. We often think about it in terms of you know, major world conflicts, and perhaps it's uh, at a really simple level could be thought of as just like the absence of conflict or violence. Mm. But, but that's almost a, a very limited way of thinking about it. The way you're describing shalom and peace is it's much fuller than that. It has greater levels... Uh, of interpersonal dynamic as well as uh, as a community dynamic, you said. Is that a fair way to talk about it? It's a good way to talk about it. So from a Christian perspective, shalom is not a passive concept whatsoever. So we believe that God is on a mission, and God's mission is to grow and promote shalom into this world evermore. We believe that God calls believers, uh, or those who are willing to partner with Him in whatever way, shape, or form, to continue along these lines to progress the same mission. Uh, in other words, we called into this partnership thing. Shalom is an active concept in that it does not denote a passive creating of space only for completeness, wholeness, and well-being. It is the active pursuit of growing this into spaces, places, people's lives, etc., etc. So in that sense also, shalom often means to be in opposition to anything that breaks down shalom, anything that breaks down the peace that God intends. Uh, if we understand that peace is completeness, wholeness, and well-being. So anything in our world that breaks down completeness, wholeness, and well-being for people, for societies, shalom 
says, or the pursuit of shalom says that we oppose those things. And that's an active opposition towards those things. So it's never a passive absence of conflict only. It is an active promotion of completeness, wholeness, and well-being in opposition to that which breaks it down. Mm, okay. Wow. So uh, an active partnership towards completeness, wholeness, and well-being, and seeking to oppose that which will break it down. Wow. Um, so opposing ideas mm. like violence, you know, things mm-hmm. that... And in that context, could you tell us a little bit about how you would think about violence? Yes, yes. It's a fascinating question. So for me, violence, uh, you can define it in so many different ways. But in short, I will define it as anything, uh, whether inside a person, whether uh, part of our society context, that breaks down shalom. Anything that breaks down shalom, I would consider to be violence. Okay. We can even speculate about how the concept of evil functions in that space and whether they are directly related. I believe they are in some way, shape or form. We don't have to go into that philosophically too much now. But yes, all of those words would go into it. <laughs> this is the danger of um, the conversations about violence and peace is that it gets into a large philosophical space very, very quickly. And um, the trick here today is we're going to try and keep that grounded and somewhat. And I think the way for us to, to keep that grounded is to connect back to the conversations that we have uh, with students in the classroom as we're preparing, as you mentioned earlier, for the, for the community professions. So can you take us back there a little bit? Uh, so how does that idea of shalom uh, come into the conversations you have in your classroom? So think about the community professions. Our students join a table because they want to be better equipped and better empowered to actually outwork or, or partner with in this journey to grow shalom into our world. Whether they work with people one-on-one, whether they work with groups of people, whether they work in specific settings, whether they work with uh, public sectors. As community professionals, they want to make life better. They want to grow completeness, wholeness and well-being into people's lives. So shalom, as it is understood first biblically and then also sociologically, etc., etc., actually helps us to understand how we can do that better. As a community professional, how can you engage in processes and, and uh, you know, all kinds of things that makes shalom something that can actually be realized in different situations and in different lives? Thank you. All right. Um, so, Phil, I'm going to come to you now because you obviously work with the same group of students, but you have a, a similar conversation in a slightly different way. So, can you tell us a, a little bit about the t- subjects that you teach and how you, what sort of conversations you have there? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, there are two subjects in, in particular uh, that I'm working with, and both of them have the, the term exploration in their title. Nice. Uh, which I think is um, because they're, they're focused on spirituality there is no one universal definition of spirituality, that's what we understand um, from that field and I think there's a really good reason to that, for that because um, spirituality doesn't particularly lend itself to being fully conceptualised um, so that's why the word exploration is always very important, there's an open-endedness a curiosity uh, there's always an element of surprise, of wonder, of finding out something 
that we didn't know before of seeing things in a different way and uh, this is often very much the experience of students in my subject is they uh, is they'll encounter in a way something familiar but they'll see it from a different perspective and it comes um, as a surprise but a liberating surprise so <clears throat> one of the subjects focuses on the exploration of spiritual practices and um, where I come from in that subject is um, what I believe is, is at the heart of the mystical tradition in spirituality. What the mystics teach us is that the deepest part of the human psyche is something beautiful, something that is precious, uh, something that belongs to God, that is connected to God, and that through that, <coughs> through that connection to God is also connected to all things the life of the planet um, and the the real goal of that subject is to assist students in taking that inner journey so mm -hmm. if you think of um, uh, a metaphor for this a parable that, that in Matthew's gospel where Jesus talks about a person who discovers a treasure hidden in a field mm. so this subject really is about assisting people to discover this beautiful part of themselves that is sacred, that is precious to God. Uh, now the relationship between that and our topic today, violence, is that what what I notice is that people are quite violent and unforgiving mm. towards themselves. Um, so people have very deep uh, and embedded negative and um, non-compassionate scripts about their own lives. And theologically, um, my, my belief is, and I believe this is um, from the scripture, that, that love is, is Trinitarian in its structure. So we talk mm -hmm. about the great commandment and the second greatest commandment, but we sometimes miss the, the third element to that. So I'm talking about Jesus' comment that the most important part of the whole law, theology, teaching um, is to love God and to love your neighbour as yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a Trinitarian structure and those, those three loves, the love of self, the love of neighbour, the love of God are indivisible. You can't separate them. Uh, so you can't, you can't love God and hate your neighbour. You can't hate yourself and love your neighbour. <laughs> um, so there's a Trinitarian structure to that. So the journey of exploring spiritual practices is to assist people in discerning a pathway into that deeper centre of themselves. Um, and, and I'm very influenced by um, the interpretation of a phrase from St. Augustine, God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. And uh, that idea mm. that, that if we can actually connect with this, the depth of who we are, we also connect with God and through God we have a much deeper connection to our neighbour, to our planet, um, to all living things. And uh, so... You, you can't be at war. If, if, if you've made that connection, <laughs> then you, you're not going to be, uh, you know, in all kinds of, you know, wishing violence uh, on other people. So that's one subject. The other subject is um, similar but different. So it's exploring contemporary spirituality, and that subject is really about saying what is the narrative in our culture, and how do we how do we get wiser and smarter and better at discerning the life of the spirit as it emerges, as it occurs. And again, I, I guess um, from a Christian perspective, I'm very influenced by um, 
the teaching style of Jesus, who didn't really come with a lot of complicated theological concepts, but he told stories about people losing money and finding it again. He told stories about people who were involved in agriculture and fishing and everyday activities. And the idea was that he would help people to draw out the spiritual sacred element in the everyday reality. So exploring contemporary spirituality is uh, is very much about where are, where are the spiritual discourses at play in our culture, in our society? How can we make sense of those? And, and um, from a Christian perspective, how do we actually engage in that spiritual conversation in a way that's positive and proactive and bridge building and so that we can actually bring our Christian spirituality to that conversation as an asset, as a resource, uh, rather than as a stern message of disapproval or exclusion. If I can interject, yeah, I can. It's such a wonderful discussion. Cannot help myself. <laughs> no, it's a conversation. Go for it. Thank so you. So, if you think about it, everything that Phil just said, I mean, it excites me greatly in that I mean, everything he said further progresses this journey towards greater completeness, wholeness, and well-being. So, greater degrees of. Now, the first subject Phil talked about for me really probes deeply into each student or each person. Uh, and talks about that inner completeness, wholeness, and well-being in a way. And then the second subject talks about, okay, what, how do we take that further? It's just uh, There's something beautiful in that space. So, so these things connect. Uh, they all connect always. Yeah. It's fantastic. I think that's the idea, and I think that's one of the principles of good education. It's not constantly moving on to something different. Mm. But it, it's almost, it's almost you can see layers of meditation in this, yeah. where we, we consider something from one angle and we dig deeper in it, and then we consider the same thing from a slightly different angle and we yeah. look at the connections. And yeah, so, and that's good. Good education is to master something, not to constantly be looking for, you know spreading yourself so wide and so thin but to, to, to dig deep into something and to become a, a specialist in that field. That's excellent. Thank yeah. you. And part of what I hear in terms of your subjects uh, and the specialist angle that it brings is a focus on practices, um, on stories, on these uh, simple, almost everyday life experiences but I, I like the way you said you come at them from a new perspective so it's a surprise it's something I'm familiar with but suddenly by taking this different angle I can say oh I can learn about this in a new way and have a new level of appreciation for it is that a fair summary as well in a way yeah yeah absolutely I, I it certainly is I mean I love the, the the phrase again from the teaching of Jesus he'll say something like you know consider the lilies of the field and I, you know, they don't sow or reap, and yet... Uh, Matthew 6. Yeah, Matthew yeah. and, and it's always Jesus <coughs> saying, look at this familiar scene, but think about it in this way. Mm. People going, oh, mm. wow, never really thought about it that way before. <laughs> and I think that's, that's the absolute joy of this, this journey and this, this discovery. Uh, really, if you think about it, if we are true to call in Tabor, we want our students to emerge from this journey with a strong framework that they've developed from elements they, they gleaned throughout their studies that they can uh, that, that helps shape their thinking their actions their practices all kinds of things like that as they as they outwork uh, making a difference for good and for God yeah excellent well thank you I mean that's a really 
in-depth and, and fascinating um, summary of your subjects. And there's, again, so many ways we could take this conversation. But one of the bits I'm, I'm really interested in is a theme for this podcast. Uh, it comes from the sociological idea from C. Wright Mills, who he talks about uh, the sociological imagination and the capacity to see a connection between personal troubles and public issues. Now, I'm beginning to see some of the threads in the way that both of you are talking about your subjects because there's a level of individual as well as community in both of them. There's a connection to something greater than the self uh, while also focusing on a few I think you talked about, in particular the, the violence people have towards themselves and their own story. Yeah, right. So I'm wondering if you, yeah, you can unpack a little bit more of that theme within your subject. And I'll just start again with you, Johan. So I'll deviate slightly from the subject, though the subject captures a lot of this as well. But when I did my doctorate study... Um, the thesis theme was empowering destitute people towards shalom. Okay, and one of the primary questions was, why are people destitute? What happens? Uh, had a look at a number of sources, but had a strong theological lens on this. And theologically, when you look at the Bible, it appears the following is true. The Bible says that 20% of the time, more or less, uh, we can refer to personal lassitude or personal issues as the cause of destitution, as the cause of why people do not experience shalom or decline and things like that. Okay. Um, very interesting. It's only 20%. And, and then the Bible, uh, we, talk about, we, we eventually found that we can talk about outside-in and inside-out factors that contribute to to destitution. So outside-in factors are those that start as personal issues and outwork. Uh, uh, Sorry, that's inside out. Outside in issues are those issues that come from externally that imposes on a person and then changes them on the inside as well. So these things are in dynamic interactions. The outside in factors is where 80% of the causes of the institution lie. And the Bible talk about these as social injustices, uh, social structural issues, Etc. Etc. Now we see that in our day and age very clearly. So publicly, and I have seen this, I believe, empirically in our world, uh, it would seem the focus is much more strongly on structural societal issues as the primary causes of those things that violently breaks down shalom. And it's not on personal issues per se. So it seems that structural issues causes those personal issues. Those things are then in a dynamic. But it usually starts with structural issues. It then asks the question, as uh, community professionals, what do we focus on uh, in terms of making a difference for good and for God? Is it on people only or is it on the bigger environment and the context that is dearly in need of change? That's really interesting. Um, I don't think that's a really common way of thinking about uh, the theologically social issues. I think uh, my experience, particularly in our culture, which has an individualising focus, you know, individual responsibility is the key, but also I would suggest perhaps a, a popular conception of Christianity is as a moral code, uh, which emphasises, again, that individual responsibility. But from what you're saying, you think the Bible actually says a very different message that is 80% about structure and 20% about individual action. Is that... Yes, that's, that's exactly it. So it's almost, if I can use an image, that's perhaps not the most comfortable image, but imagine you live in an environment where the very air causes sickness. 
So at least 80% of the issue is in the environment. It then obviously has an internal effect. It makes you sick. And a sick person does sick things. I would say that's more or less how it hangs together. Yeah, wow. Okay, thank you. That's really interesting. I think that's an important uh, counter-narrative that we kind of have to really wrestle with and that you're, you're offering that to students uh, to think about where their action has to be. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a little bit because I want to talk more about you know, what do we now do with this information, with this way of seeing the world. But that's really fascinating. Thank you. Um, Phil, likewise to you, how does that dynamic of, of personal troubles and public issues yeah. work itself out okay. in your conversation? So the, what, what came to mind immediately was a conference I attended many years ago now with um, uh, an Aboriginal person was uh, one of the people giving keynotes. The conference was on um, spirituality and suicide prevention. Uh, yeah. And at the time, well, we were thinking very particularly about um, you know, perceived crisis in... Uh, Youth self-harming and suicide, and the the Aboriginal speaker said, "I've been talking to the old people, and now I don't know if she was talking to actual old people or talking to ancestors gone. I'm not really sure. She didn't explain it, but she said, "I've been talking to the old people, and they've been telling me that it's the frames of reference that are killing your kids. And if you want to do, if you want to get rid of the suicide, you've got to change your frames of reference." Uh, tell us more what you mean by frames of reference. So a frame, frame of reference is the dominant social narrative mm. about what makes a meaningful life if we're playing back into Johan's subject mm. there. And essentially the, the dominant frame of reference is, is, you know, to use the political slogan, it's all about the economy. Uh, and, you know, there's a, there's a brilliant, you know, Michael Lunick cartoon uh, I came across many years ago. It's called the economy says. You know, the economy says knock down the hospital. <laughs> the economy says build a highway through the park. And basically, everyone is bowing down and doing what the yeah. what the economy says. So when you play that out, the whole the, the drive we 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 think we've got a crisis in mental health. So we talk about that a lot. You know, we have we have mental health epidemics or mental disease epidemics. Um, but of course we do because we, we, we are, our frames of reference are driving us to live in unsustainable ways. So, so we know, you know, our planet is telling us that our lifestyle is not sustainable. But it's not just about plastic bags in the ocean. Uh, it's about our crazy idea of what we think we can achieve with multitasking. It's about what we choose to prioritise. We drive hard all week at work and then we get to the weekend and people say, what do you got on? And you go, oh i got to do this, you know, you got to think. It, it, we just don't stop driving and driving and driving. And what are we driving for? Okay. We don't even know what we're driving for. We're just caught up on this major freeway. Mm. Uh, Jesus says, you know, the, the, the pathway, the road to hell is wide. Um, it's, it, it's, it's, it is a freeway, but the pathway to life is narrow. So what is it that's killing our kids? What is it that's causing this ec- epidemic of violence towards itself? The Aboriginal wise person says it's the frames of reference. Yeah. Now, if you want a different frame of reference, go and watch the uh, the, the documentary film Kanyini, and you get um, an indigenous perspective of what it what it really means to live in a in a true way, in a real way, and and it'll take you right back to the Garden of Eden and some of the Hebrew wisdom um, about the meaning of life. So yeah, there's definitely. Uh, it's a frame of reference. It's what we believe about what really matters. Yeah. 
Mm. Um, so there's mm. a dominant social narrative, but narrative therapy tells us that when we're working with individuals, there's always an alternative narrative. Mm. And there is an alternative narrative in our culture, and it's that alternative narrative that we've got to tap into. It's about yeah. what we believe about what makes life meaningful as well, yeah. or what even what success is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What is success? Um, what brings happiness? Yeah. What is really worth working and striving for, and what isn't? Great. So we have these narratives, we have these frames of reference, uh, we have these social structures that that tell us this is a particular way of succeeding or this is the most important thing. He's, the economy is a very dominant narrative in our, in our culture but in our politics. You know, it's the way to justify decisions. But what, what you're saying is a critique of it is that this is part of... This narrative drives us towards sickness, towards violence, towards ourselves, towards a, a sense of success that is unsustainable. Uh, it's by challenging and questioning some of these narratives that we can... Yeah, it's not based violence. on the truth. That's the thing. We're believing mm. something that isn't true. We, just, mm. you know, we, can, we, we think we can keep on burning coal and making plastic bags and all these things, but our planet is telling us that is not true. Mm. Exactly. And so a way to test this frame of reference all the time, or this, uh, it is a frame of reference, that's what you talked about. Yeah. 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 Uh, is to ask, is this actively, actually growing shalom? thus completeness, wholeness and well-being in this situation for the people involved therein? Or is it not? Is it doing the opposite? Is it breaking it down? Is it violently breaking it down? Okay, well, let's continue that train of thought um, and ask, well, what then do we do with this idea? So we've become conscious that there's these narratives and these frames of mm. reference that are driving us towards uh, some false truth or some, um, some false sense of success. What now do I do about that? What do you talk to your students about? Uh, how do I make a difference? Now, even you know, as I say that, I've said, how do I make a difference? So there's that individual responsibility discourse mm. again. So now I've got to work harder to try and not work hard. Like That sounds... Um, paradoxical but how, how do we think about individual but also collective responses what, what can we do now there's so much in this so where to start uh, as a basic almost a framework but it's not a framework as a basic model we start off in meaningful living by saying this know yourself in order to manage yourself in order to flourish your world so three almost three boxes but they're all interconnected all the time so we then take, a, take students on a journey to understand who they are, to go deeper. Um, Phil's journey takes them a lot deeper than this subject in Meaningful Living does. Sure. It basically scratches the surface, but then other subjects take that journey much further. If you truly then understand who you are, if your authentic self emerges, if you understand the strengths that you were created with, that, that you bring to bear... Uh, that becomes your first clue as to how can I live and function in ways that would flourish myself, others and our world. So, so that's almost the starting point. Then the second question is how do I manage myself? How do I best utilize the resource that God has put inside of me? How do I best do that in relation with others? And this is where the concept of community emerges really strongly. So in Africa, years ago, I came to more fully understand the concept of Ubuntu, which is a very strong African mindset where they say 
I am because of who we are. And so that is a total, dif totally different way of thinking about it. So I never think about myself in isolation, but always in terms of the whole. And so we then enter, enter community into it because uh, you cannot ever grow in completeness, wholeness and well-being without understanding uh, that, uh, that important piece about community and being part of the whole. And then the next question becomes, okay, so how do I flourish others, our world, etc., etc.? And the challenge then for students become, what can you do in whatever situation or context you find yourself in? In whatever situation or context you will enter into as a community professional? And so we don't tell them exactly what, because it emerges it challenges, challenges them to think about this more deeply. It challenges them even to tap into what I would potentially call universal wisdom, uh, you know, from the Bible, from their connection with God, from spirituality, all of those places. What is that, that collective wisdom? What does that say to me in terms of how I can best make a difference uh, that flourishes others? Mm, okay. There's an interesting sort of cycle happening in what you're saying, um, where you start with the individual and you ask them to get to know themselves better, um, and then you move towards uh, the community, seeing yourself as part of a whole, so that idea of Ubuntu, uh, and then back to the individual to say, now it's your turn to do something mm. with this. I find that really interesting uh, because if we start with the individual and we get stuck there, you kind of end up saying, look, get to know yourself, perhaps do some meditative practices and that'll make it better. And you can just sit there sort of meditating to yourself as the, the world around you burns, which kind of sounds, doesn't really solve those structural issues. That's a false about. understanding of the phenomenon of meditation, though, the way that you describe it. Yeah, that, yeah. that's it. I mean, perhaps, Phil, you can tell us a little bit more about how we can think about meditation then, so it's not that dominant individual idea. And then we'll, we'll come back to, you know, Hans' idea was a connection through yeah. community and back to self. So, so our culture is individual, individualistic and, and hyper-consumerist. So yeah. whenever we first encounter a spiritual concept, we immediately commodify it. So, yeah. so you know, so-called meditation, mindfulness can be fully commodified so that it's just a little thing in my back pocket um, that makes me feel a, a bit better. But this is nothing to do um, with, with the Christian... Um, perspective on contemplation and, and meditation, which takes us into that. So the idea of the idea of contemplation from a Christian perspective, and, and not only Christian, but you know you'll you'll find elements of this in other faith traditions, is, is it brings you deeper into the to union with transcendence, and and through that union with transcendence, you sense and feel and experience your deep connectivity to all things. So it's impossible to participate in authentic meditation and contemplation without walking out of your front door and automatically just being in a more compassionate and restorative modality. Um, it, it, you just can't. It, it doesn't, you can't genuinely experience meditation and not become a more gentle person in the way that you live, in the way that you um, engage with others uh, and, and the environment as a whole. So meditation doesn't just take me into myself, it actually takes me into the rest of my surroundings. It, it, well, it actually connects, uh, true yeah. meditation actually connects more than anything else. So, yeah. so if you think about the biblical concept, be still and know that I am God. Uh, 
that word know in Hebrew is yada, which means be still and experience intimately. That would probably be a better yeah. understanding. And, that, yeah. and that's what I take out of what Phil says. Be still, meditate, contemplate, etc., etc. Yeah. Connect intimately and experience intimately yeah. those relationships with everything around and how it hangs together. Yeah, that's exactly it. I have a personal saying uh, that I, I lose my mind on a daily basis. So for me, the practice of prayer, contemplation, meditation, so I have to come back into my right mind. I come back into my right mind by, by engaging with that compassionate center of my own being, which is, which is the gift of God's grace. Uh, and then I come out of that space into the external world and rather than being defensive, aggressive, I'm much more likely to, from a place of security and safety and compassion, to be engaging in a different way. Yeah. This is why it's so important that our practices of meditation and mindfulness are not completely disconnected from the philosophical, theological basis on which they rest because we need the whole story. Uh, we need the living tradition, not just a little thing that we've snipped off the edge and now we're going to stick yeah. in our back pocket and use. But, I mean, Christians can do this with worship practices too, So, uh, which is why there needs to be a deep you know, theology underpinning um, an expression of worship or um, you know, Christian practice. So the journey into self is a journey into connection, is a journey into mm. knowing mm. in a deep way, into seeing the needs of the people around you, into yeah. responding compassionately out of a positive and, and, sense of yeah. self and yeah. others. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an either or, it is as much of both as possible at the same time in a dynamic interrelatedness. Yeah. Yeah. The Christian idea is active contemplative. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's a, there's a rhythm and a flow... Yeah, all the time. But can I just share a story? Yes, um, please. That comes to mind in terms of, um, you know, what does this mean and how do we make this work in the world? So this is a story that I've come, I've just experienced this week from a student who's in one of my subjects. So um, he has been working on a research project and his, his, what he observed in himself was that his own experience of Christianity um, was evoking in him a lot of restlessness and guilt. Uh, where he and, and, and a disconnect between some of the things that he naturally felt within himself would be right and good as goals for his life. Mm. Uh, and so he was kind of wrestling with, I think, a caricature of Christian faith, something that he hadn't really, hadn't become incarnate in himself, if I could use that word, but had kind of been superimposed mm. um, as, a, as a structure. What, what enabled him to get somewhere in this journey? Because so he notices this, he's curious about this, mm. and he's thinking, is there a different way? Is there a better way? Could I continue to be a Christian but move into a more generous space, a mm. space that's more, you know, I'm more at home on my own skin? And what he noticed was that within his Christian network and community, there were two or three exceptional individuals who seemed to be... Um, very serious about faith, but quite light-hearted about life. Mm. <laughs> and he noticed the exception. And, and because he noticed the exception, there's that sense of deep calling to deep. Mm. The, the observation, the opportunity to observe the life of these people, so to see within himself, Merton would call this a seed of contemplation. 
And because that seed was there, he began to go on a discovery and he started to engage these people in conversation and trying to make sense of what, what it would mean for him to be that kind of a person. Now, I think the, these um, serious but light-hearted folks <laughs> have cultivated that inner space within themselves. And I think one of the great teachings of, again, um, Christian spirituality, spiritual direction, is that the space within us creates the possibility for space in another. There's almost a symbiotic mm. response there. Uh, the student who's telling this story has actually come through to a very different space. Something has happened. There's been a, an epiphany, a moment of transformation, and he traces it to a moment in a conversation with, with one of these informal mentors. And all of a sudden, the hinge turns. He sees things in a completely different way. And, and what once seen in that way can't be unseen. So, so there is this, you know, irreversible movement forward into a more authentic, genuine sense of being himself, and also being his, he, a Christian self. Um, yeah. So, um, so I think, um, how can we change the world? Again, for me, uh, we can't control the world. We do have a fair bit of autonomy mm. in terms of how we cultivate our own spirit. And if 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 we cultivate our spirit, and if we are in relationship in natural ways with the world, then who we are as a person will influence and change and exercise sacramental presence. And I'm not in any of that saying we shouldn't, you know, structurally organise and, and so mm. on. But there does need to be something organic about it because the, this weight of we've got to change the world and be responsible, it's exhausting. It's, it can be just another form of burnout. It's another opportunity mm-hmm. for the ego to kind of take us somewhere unhealthy. Yeah. I had so many comments. Edmund Burke famously <laughs> said, life is too important to take seriously. So I like this comment about lightheartedness. Mm. Just there's something beautiful about it. Um, <clears throat> it's very true. If you think about the bottom line, this word shalom, a very simple way perhaps to think about it is simply to ask, what would make it better for this person, for this context, for this situation? Without that strife, which I agree with full, if that strife pushes us into a space of burnout, of carrying so much weight that it actually breaks down completeness, honest and well-being, that's counter to the call of shalom as well. Mm-hmm. And so they, these things have to be considered. I am reminded of something else, and that is years ago I did a bit of a study on human needs, and we look at that as well in Meaningful Living as part of the framework. What are the primary human needs? Now, there's so many different models. The interesting thing, though, is that the only thing that you find in all human needs models, the only single thing that overlaps is the need to belong, or then otherwise called the need for love. Mm -hmm. And so this interrelatedness, that is a strong need that that we all have. Now, in an individualized society, how we manage this almost runs counter to the very purpose of being interrelated because we we go to the individual to the expense of the community. So therefore the Ubuntu concept of I am because of who we are becomes mm-hmm. hugely important as a counter to that which breaks down shalom in our society. Okay. Well, so I'm, as I'm listening, I'm trying to find the, the summary statement, which of course is really hard to do. Um, but the themes that I'm hearing that there's 
there's a connection between your subjects and some of these core principles um, are that a start with the individual, bring us out of the individual space into a connection with others, but also ex- creates a space in your subject for people to examine um Maybe motivation is the wrong word, but the the their their sense of reason or self that drives the the response. So we're even asking the question about uh, if you respond, if your desire to create change in the world is driven by a personal ego project, then it's still part of that dominant narrative of individual solutions. And instead, you're asking people to consider who are you in the context of your connection to others and then outwork that Mm. um, rather than um, what is the issue out there that we need to go and change. Is that a fair way of of summarising a bit of what our conversation has been? It's a brilliant summary in my opinion. (laughs) There we go. Well, lucky we're recording. Well, thank you so much. I mean, we could keep talking about this for a long time, but I wanted to uh, probably wrap up at this point because concentration spans are probably getting to their end point, uh, but hoping that if people wanted to continue or wanted to keep thinking and learning in this space, what are some resources that they could uh, look up? And perhaps if you could recommend a resource and then tell us what people should pay attention to as they're reading that, because mm. often it's easy to get lost in, in a lot of information. Um, so, yeah, what do you think, Johan? Is there one that you would like to recommend? Probably the single book that I would recommend at this point is a book called God's Shalom Project. And it has a subscript that says An Engaging Look at the Bible Sweeping Story uh, by Bernard Ott. It's a very good, thin little book, so that's always appealing to students, I think. Uh, you know, we're not expecting you to read so much that it breaks down your shalom. <laughs> so we don't want to have that happening. Uh, Especially chapter 2, it's not a very long chapter, but it has this thing about God as a project and then it goes into an explanation of what Shalom is and how it, it can be seen. Uh, the whole book actually, but yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good start. Great, thank you so much. And Phil, you've got a recommendation for us as well? Uh, I've already mentioned one resource, which is the um, documentary film Kanyini, uh, narrated by Bob Randall, who's since passed away, but uh, Central Australian. Aboriginal elder, um, the importance of that story is I, I have a really strong conviction that the Aboriginal people have something to tell us that our culture has forgotten. Um, and so that's all I'll say about that. Um, we, I, we need to listen to this narrative. The, the one that's a bit more fresh for me is an article that I'll, I'll pass on to you, Ben, so I can upload at the subject website. It's by a lovely um, Irish man who I know personally, um, Michael O'Sullivan, O'Sullivan, and it's titled Spiritual Capital, Spirituality for Social and Planetary Wellbeing, um, begins with a quote um, from um, a European leader who says, Europe needs a spiritual key currency besides the euro. And, um, and so in this article, in a very simple but meaningful way, um, Michael O'Sullivan unpacks the concept of, um, of spiritual capital and what that means. And I'll just give you one reference in this that I think illustrates it. He talks about the current Pope, Pope Francis, and, and the difference that he's made um, in his particular role, sure. uh, um, which is an international role of global influence. But one of the things that he talks about in the article, he's talking about the the power of foundational stories 
as our spiritual capital. So there's just a little two-line excerpt from this. Um, uh, the then future Pope Francis remembers being five or six and accompanying his grandmother when two Salvation Army women passed by. He asked her if they were nuns. No, she replied, they are Protestants, but they are good. And he comments that his grandmother, you know, in a, in a, this is back in the day when Roman Catholics and Protestants, you know, talking about each other as if each is going to hell. Um, his grandmother could have said something so different, but at the age of five or six, that different narrative, that peacemaking narrative, mm. that shalom-building narrative, was so influential uh, in his own formation as a young person. And we can see now, as a very powerful ecclesial public figure, mm. you know, the influence mm. of that structurally. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. Ah, thank you. All right. Yeah. Look, we will provide links to uh, both those resources, or three of the resources, uh, in the show notes. So that'll be perfect. All right. Before we go, uh, if people wanted to follow up a little bit more of your scholarship, or even just hear more about your subjects or table, where would they find you on the internet? <laughs> in my case, if they want to tap into my doctorate study, they can simply Google. Uh, you know, Charitru. That's a mouthful, G-E-R-R-I-T. We might have to provide a link for that as well. Yeah. Link. Uh, and, and with a thesis theme there. Uh, in terms of meaningful living, we do have the possibility for students to take the subject in an audit fashion, should they ever want to sit in. Uh, you know, therefore, not having to do any of the assessments, not paying the big amount of money to actually do the subject, but sitting in and gleaning from it. Excellent. It's always there. Not doing the assessments, I'm sure, is very attractive to some people as well. So thank you for that. So Ben, I think maybe the best way would be if I sent you to the link to my e-portfolio, um, which um, hasn't been so recently updated, but there's a bit of stuff there. But you should also buy my book. <laughs> Great. I was going to ask if there's any projects you're working on that you'd like to plug. So yes, tell us more about your book. Uh, yeah, so um, I've... I've recently published a small book that's really uh, more devotional by nature than academic, but it picks up on a phrase from Australian sociologist Gary Bomer, who talks about spirituality in the Australian context as being shyly expressed. So this is a series of meditations I've titled Portraits of Our Shy Hopes. That's about noticing the spirituality of the everyday. And uh, you can get it for 15 bucks. 15 bucks. From, from, from Elephant people. House Press or um, from the uh, reception here at Table College. Great, thank you. Johan, is there a project you're working on at the moment that you'd like to plug? Always projects we're working <laughs> on, but uh, not something that is as good as the book that I just mentioned. <laughs> an endorsement for first book. <laughs> Look, thank you so much again. This has been a really enjoyable conversation. Um, I'm sure people want to hear more and we could talk for much longer, but I really appreciate both of your time. Beautiful. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for the opportunity. Fantastic. Links to the resources discussed in the podcast are provided in the show notes. If you like the podcast, share it around. My name is Ben Lohmeyer. Thank you for listening to Exploring Violence and Society.